Oh, who lives in the pineapple under the sea? Ah, welcome to GradCast. It is Tuesday night. We are a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. My name is Yimin Chen. I will be one of your lovely hosts tonight. And with my other lovely co-host, we have Ariel Frame. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Oh, excellent. And our guest tonight... Um, is not a sponge scientist, but studies something that is featured on the SpongeBob cartoon. We have Rosie Savage. Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Oh, lovely. So you're a master's student completing your degree in biology. Is that right? That is correct. And to sort of tie it in with the whole SpongeBob thing, what is it that you study here at Western? Well, I wish I studied the sponges, but sadly, I do not. Um, my project is particularly looking at uh, zooplankton, uh, crustacean zooplankton. So that includes copepods or plankton from SpongeBob. There's the connection okay. for you guys. <laughs> Little green guy with antennae, one eye. One eye. Yes, that's okay. the guy. Um, so I'm looking at the symbionts, uh, specifically the parasites that are associated with different species of zooplankton found in coastal ecosystems. So on the west coast of Canada. So you're saying these, I mean, I think they're tiny, the plankton. I'm mm -hmm. not exactly sure how yeah. big they are, but I'm just imagining something really small that probably if I'm swimming along, I'm not going to see them no. if they're around me. Um, but this is, well, unless they're much bigger. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> well jellyfish are considered plankton. Really? Yes. Shut up. Because they cannot swim against the current? Because planktonic means you can't, you go uh, with the flow. Look, that's a pretty general yeah. description of plankton. <laughs> yes, you'll find that with a lot of terms. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. So are Jelly you saying fish. if I just like lay there in the water and just don't fight it, I could be considered plankton? You know what? Yes. <laughs> You're like, I'll give it to you. I'm going to go on record and say absolutely. <laughs> wow. I'm going to be one with the plankton next time I swim. Yes. Me so every time at the lake. <laughs> So that's really interesting, and I'd like to know about all the various types of plankton and which ones you look at. But you said something about like symbionts and parasites, and I think people, most people would know kind of like a parasite's like a bad thing that you don't want, like kind of yeah. leeching off you, I guess. But Like a leech. <laughs> like a leech. <laughs> like a leech. So I guess a leech is also a parasite, probably not a plankton. <laughs> I don't think. Maybe they are. I, I don't know. No Everything's idea. plankton nowadays. <laughs> Jellyfish, we, Yemen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone. Uh, we don't so parasite. <laughs> so there's something smaller than plankton that then like eats plankton. So what? So what kind of plankton do you study? So there are even like different groups of zooplankton. Some are unicellular, like dinoflagellates, ciliates. Well, there are other multicellular ones, like metazoans, which is the zooplankton that I'm looking at specifically the crustacean group. Uh, so I'm looking at copepods, uh, euphosids, or also known as krill, uh, amphipods, and ostracods. Okay. So just so you know, we get a sense of scale here, what sort of size are these, I guess, animals, creatures that you're, you're studying? Yeah. So the smallest copepod uh, species that I'm looking at is roughly like two millimeters. Mm. And then the largest, uh, the largest krill or amphipod is around two centimeters, maybe two and a half. Okay, so you're studying these little teeny tiny or slightly less teeny tiny sort of zooplankton, copepods, krill, and, and so on. Um, being as we are in sort of landlocked southern Ontario, um, where, where do you get your specimens? Like, where do you get these little creatures that you study? 
Uh, so the zooplankton that I'm collecting are marine and they're coastal. So I go out to mm -hmm. the west coast of BC, mm -hmm. uh, and just between Vancouver Island and uh, the mainland. Um, and we basically go out in a boat and we drop a big net down to the bottom of the ocean uh, and haul up everything in the water column. And then everything, you basically get at the end a very condensed sample of zooplankton in the end of this net, which then we take and then we store in either ethanol, um, sometimes we freeze them or fix them in formalin. Uh, and then we take those back to the lab where I can use, uh, well, then I basically go through my molecular kind of procedures to determine the symbiont. Okay, but like, how fine is this net you're using? You said, you know, some on the smaller end, your zooplankton, what, like two millimeters. How, how do you capture that in a net? So the zooplankton nets that I've used for my project, mm -hmm. I have a mesh diameter of 250 microns. Wow. Yeah, and then that's for kind of catching the, the bigger guys, I would say. I've also taken some samples with an even smaller net, a 64 micron net. Um, and those are so that we can capture more juvenile or younger stages of zooplankton because when the mesh size is 250, you might be excluding some group that's too small that, that wouldn't be necessarily collected at the end of your sample. So microns, those are like micrometers. Yes. And that, you know, like a thousand times smaller than a millimeter. Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> so when you're saying you're hauling like everything out of the water column, that's like almost literally everything. Yeah, so you do get a lot of like uh, more like diatoms, other algaes and stuff like that. But uh, I usually sieve those out at some point during my processing just to make my samples cleaner so that I don't have to necessarily clean the zooplankton as much once I've um, started to isolate them. Okay, and so do you go yourself off to the West Coast to collect these samples? Yeah, me and my supervisor, we go out and we meet a lab from UBC, mm -hmm. uh, and then we stay on one of the Gulf Islands, and we go out daily and do collections. So like on a boat? Yes, sorry. Yeah. We go out on a boat to a station, which is basically just a random open, well, not necessarily open ocean, but spot in the water, and then that's where we start. I mean, it sounds like an adventure. It sounds fun. Do you like look forward to going on those big trips? How how often do you do it, and how many times do you go out? Uh, so generally, the field season is once a year. So last September, I started my masters, but I was really lucky that a week before um, I moved out here, I was able to actually meet my supervisor and kind of do a week of field work before I started. So I did have some samples to work with when I got to Western. Uh, and then we just went out in July for a 10-day field season, which, I mean, not super long, but it's, it was really fun. It's my favorite part, I think. <laughs> okay, I mean, so, I mean, this just might be me because I love seafood. Uh, what do you do with the other things you catch in the net um, in addition to the zooplankton? Uh, so catching a lot of other stuff is a lot more rare, I okay. would say. Yeah. Uh, we did catch like a flatfish, we realized at the end of one of our toes when we were yeah. cleaning out the net, which was kind of cool. Uh, I did find a little uh, cephalopod or a little octopus in one of my Aww. samples because they're quite small, like just a couple millimeters. Mm -hmm. Or no, sorry, not millimeters, centimeters. So, but I mean, he was dead, so it was kind of sad. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but still cute. <laughs> I can send you a photo. Dad, but <laughs> <Just> cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and so, like, working with some of these living organisms, creatures, or, I guess, dead organisms, um, do you have, like, a favorite type of plankton? Oh, my favorite plankton. Probably plankton. 
from SpongeBob, a good oh, old Cocoa oh, wow. Pod. Of course. My favorite. So you've seen ones that look like pretty much just like that. Oh, exactly. And he yelled at me too. Uh. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> uh, no, but definitely Cocoa Pods are my favorite. They're the easiest to work with in the lab and they've been the most consistent. Okay. Cool. So what would a Cocoa Pod look like, you know, if I were to, you know, collect my own sample of seawater? What would I, what would I be looking for? So a Cocoa Pod is really like, well, kind of characteristic is two antenna coming out kind of the top and then uh-huh. a kind of oblong I guess shaped body uh, depending on the species or genus of the copepod it can have like various body sizes or even shapes some have like a kind of arrowhead pointed at the head so like mm-hmm. they're very distinct and they're big um, well as others can just look like little balls with a little almost tail like okay. <laughs> protrusion on the end and then two antennae um, but it can be even hard to distinguish between species, especially at a younger stage, because as they get smaller, the more similar they kind of look, at least to me. To a very experienced eye, mm-hmm. they look completely different. <laughs> so you've uh, you got your samples in the lab, you're looking through them, you're working out what the difference, differences are, and you... Get rid of the things like flatfish and diatoms and cephalopods <laughs> that you don't want to look at because those aren't part of the study. And now you have them. How do you work out which ones have symbionts and which ones don't? And can you see those? Like how small is the symbiont? Yeah, so the symbionts that I'm concerned with are um, microscopic or microeukaryotes. Um, some par- some symbionts that are parasites uh, do produce these mi- macroscopic kind of um, attachments to the hosts, or even you can see them inside of some of the hosts because um, copepods, for example, are uh, transparent. And some one of their symbionts that lives in their gut, um, some are known to be photosynthetic, so they are green. So sometimes you can see like a green kind of thing in them but Mm -hmm. uh there are a lot of ones that maybe live in the digestive tract or even just on their surface that aren't necessarily um macroscopic so through using uh dna based methods i'm able to uh, what i'm trying to do is to look at kind of this community of microbes that are associated with the zooplankton so things you can't necessarily even see under a microscope yes basically okay so then what's the process then if you can't look at them how do you know they're there or how do you detect them? Yeah, so the first thing I do is um, I pick a bunch of zooplankton that belong to the same group or species. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I take a, kind of a group of usually about 10 individuals and then homogenize them up in the lab. So basically just like beat them up, desiccate them. Um, and that frees up all the DNA, so including the host DNA, but then also any microbial DNA that is associated with them. Um, and then after I've taken that DNA, um, I use this process called PCR, and what you can do with that is you amplify um, very specific regions of DNA or genes, uh, and that just produces a really high, uh, sorry, a really high count of these certain of identical copies of the certain gene, uh, and then that's what is sequenced. And then from looking at these. Uh, differences in the genes, you can kind of determine the species or some particular lineage that a microbe is from. So you sort of smush it all up um, and then sequence specific parts of DNA so that you can tell which parts come from like the copepods and which parts come from 
potential parasites or other organisms that might yeah. be in inside them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. So you're looking at all these different symbionts, um, and you're be able to you're able to detect them, you know, at the DNA level because you can't see them, as Yemen said. Um, are, do you care uh, how many there are, or is it just like what well, what are they? Uh, so what I'm primarily interested in is looking at the specificity that these symbionts may have to their hosts. So are they generalists? Are they present among a bunch of different groups of zooplankton? Or are they only found maybe infecting one species of copepods? So that's why I've been kind of picking out certain groups. So I've gotten some copepods um, and then other zooplankton um, and basically be able to compare between species if they have the same microbial community um, and are they being infected by the same thing? Well, I mean, you, you said some of these are parasites and, you know, um, that word itself has like a negative connotation, right? Parasites are something that harm you. Is this something um, that you're trying to investigate? Like if there are any damages in terms of the population or the individual uh, that these parasites have on the copepods, on the zooplankton you're studying? Uh, so I don't actually get to look at um, a lot of the actual influence this may have on the host. Mm-hmm. Um, how I'm kind of, I guess, determining if what I'm finding is influencing the host is going to be based off of previous literature and what other people have described these um, organisms to do to their hosts. Okay, so you're mostly looking then at sort of what other microorganisms are there and which hosts they're infecting. Yeah. Essentially. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It would be very cool to do a kind of like mesocosm culture of copepods and see how they're being infected. But um, there's a lot of issues that come with culturing certain microbes that I'm not necessarily <laughs> equipped for. <laughs> I can imagine it might be tough to replicate the environment of the bottom of the ocean in the lab. <laughs> yeah. Or the gut. Of a copepod. Oh, at the, the gut of a copepod. <laughs> 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 we're getting real niche, real small there. Um, how did you find out about this work? How did you get interested in something like this? Uh, so during my undergrad, I was really into microbi and ecology, um, but I was also really into this whole molecular cell biology field. Um, and then in my second year, I took a course and it was in eukaryotic microbiology. And I remember being like, I don't know what this is about. I've never heard about this before in my life. Uh, and then it was all about protozoology. And I bas- and I basically learned about all this microbial ecological processes in the ocean, also terrestrially. Um, and then from there on out, I was like, oh, microbial ecology is super cool. And I want to keep studying that. Uh, so I took a lot of oceanography courses, as well as like genetics courses, genomics. Um, And then during my last year, I was looking at labs that studied kind of similar things um, that were in my area, like geographically, because I'm from the West Coast. And then uh, I saw that a lab in London at Western (laughs) was doing all this cool work. And I was like, is this something I want to be a part of? And I just got in contact and I'm here now. Took the plunge, crossed the the country. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, took the plunge into grad school. (laughs) (laughs) Quite an endeavor, but um, good to have you here. (laughs) Yeah, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Well, how is the, um, how are you finding the difference with the no mountains, the uh, no oceans, the 
sort of smaller townness of London. You make it sound so good. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it, I've, I mean, it's a lot colder and a lot hotter. <laughs> oh yeah. But I remember when I first got off the plane in September. I like walked out and I was like, this is a joke. It was so humid. <laughs> and I was so sweaty and I was like, oh, this is, I don't know how I'm going to survive, but it's a year later and it went by so fast and it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be or as bad as people said it would be. <laughs> yeah. That's always good to hear. Yeah. I guess we got to like full disclosure, like all three of us are from the West Coast. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like literally all three of us are from near, well, Victoria, Richmond and Vancouver. Right. All uh, very close. <laughs> pretty close. Um, I think we all had that experience when we first got here. We we thought it was good. Everyone told us it's going to be horrible, but then, eh, you know, not so bad. And culturally, like, honestly, people are pretty similar to me, I, I, I think. I don't know. Maybe maybe different in Richmond and Victoria. Well, I mean, uh, as I said, I, I do miss the seafood once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, London's pretty cool. I don't know. My Slightly less food options. <laughs> my mom was just worried about me. She's like, you won't survive. You need to buy new boots and a new coat. And I was like, I'm fine. And I'm still here. I mean, that's not so bad. New coat, new boots. I know. Why I should not? have actually milked that word when I had the <laughs> offer. Yeah. I'd be like, it's going to be really cold this winter, mom. She's like, no. You survived. <laughs> so, you know, since there isn't a lot of uh, open seawater here, um, I guess, do you spend most of your time working like in a lab setting? Yeah, so a lot of my time is in the lab, and then especially since um, I'm going to be generating all this data mm -hmm. that is basically DNA sequence, um, a lot of it will be in front of a computer kind of sifting <laughs> through that. But um, okay. yeah, my supervisor has sampled um, some zooplankton from the lakes just mm -hmm. in London, uh, and so I kind of want to go out and do that sometime before okay. I leave, maybe next summer, but it would be really fun to get out and do that kind of locally. So do you have sort of like a typical daily routine? What does like a normal day at work look like for you? Uh, well, I wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then I usually the first thing I do is head to the lab and just get um, PCR going because a lot of it is like setting it up and then you let it run for maybe like an hour and a bit. Um, and the protocols that I'm working on, it's usually multiple rounds of PCR. So kind of in and out of the lab, get it started, let it run, get the next one started, let it run. Uh, and then usually just at my desk working on whatever data I have that I can kind of sift through. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Wow, PCR is incredible. I mean, it, we're like, <laughs> we just use it like every day. I mean, I do PCR as well. And I'm always amazed at how this technology is so pervasive. Like there is no field of genetics almost without there's no gen there's no genetics without PCR nowadays. <laughs> it's uh it's amazing how you can th I mean I think that was the original originally how PCR was used. They went into the ocean and they wanted to oh, identify really? what these things were and they couldn't get enough DNA because everything's so tiny. So they would just get random samples and then amplify everything and be like, "Look, there's all this diversity and we didn't know anything was living here <laughs> because it's so vast." That's very cool. I did not know that. So there are a lot of things living in the ocean, right? Um, I'm just oh, thinking dear. of Lord. all the times I've gone swimming uh, <laughs> and, you know, may or may not have swallowed some seawater. Um, sort of. Plankton You're not genocide. supposed to swallow that stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes when I wasn't so good at swimming, I, I couldn't quite help it. But um, what, 
what kind of stuff is in seawater then? Like, I guess a bunch of plankton, zooplankton, all sorts. Like, what? Bacteria, what viruses. What crazy stuff, like, <laughs> invisible to the naked eye have I just ingested um, <laughs> by being a terrible swimmer? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, well, there's, I don't know what, like, the... Uh, actual numbers are but the smaller something is the more numbers there are okay, or like right. the higher abundance there are in the water so mm-hmm. it's like in one liter of seawater and burn class it'd be like there's this many bacteria and it'd be like way more than like or they'd start at the bottom with like fish and they'd be like but then there's this much zooplankton and it's like way higher and then this much bacteria and it's like way higher and they're like yeah and then there's viruses and it's like through the <laughs> um so there's a lot but it's not necessarily seen as easily okay i mean you you did mention about you know looking into the sort of i guess species specificity of some of these uh parasites of zooplankton (laughs) um now that i'm thinking about it is there any chance um you know in addition to infecting different types of copepods uh could some of these things potentially infect different um animals sort of higher up in terms of like mammalia or humans he's asking am i infected (laughs) um i don't know (laughs) uh probably not i would say that you're safe i would say you're safe i think humans have been swallowing seawater for probably long (laughs) enough and we've either like evolved to be immune to it or uh but maybe maybe our microbiome could be parasitized by similar parasites that it's like inception yeah, of the microbiome. <laughs> so, inception you know, paras- yeah. If I swallow a copepod that has been parasitized by something else, could I? Yeah, anyway. That parasite <laughs> could then like parasitize our bacteria. Maybe if it's small <laughs> enough. Are there are there parasites that paras- that you said that some of the plankton you look at are like single-celled organisms, right? Do they have symbionts? Yeah, so there are there are um some uh protists or microbes that will uh, parasitize ciliates or dinoflagellates uh, but also like bacteria also infect certain microbes also obviously animals but like that's a whole other kind of parasitism okay. <laughs> so in a way there's always something smaller living yeah. on whatever small thing you're looking at in a way <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's really. always something smaller <laughs> I that's love spooky. it <laughs> <laughs> organisms all the way down um so sort of maybe looking uh, ahead sort of forward um outwards i suppose um what would you say might be potential in the importance of some of these work like why would people be interested in learning about zooplankton at all what what do they do for us or out there in the environment yeah, so zooplankton are like really important in the marine food web. They mm-hmm. like they are the sec- they are known as secondary consumers, so they're feeding on this primary on the primary producers or the phytoplankton as we we're talking about earlier. Um, and it's the other animals that feed on those zooplankton uh, that basically can get that energy that is produced by these primary producers. So they are this key link that's kind of supporting the more classical higher food chain and eventually us as we eat the fish. Okay. And maybe some fish that eat zooplankton. Um, so they really support that whole transfer of carbon up the up the food chain. So basically, whatever happens to the zooplankton will have sort of ripples all the way up into, say, like our sushi bar. Yeah, exactly. 
and right. yeah and how these communities like are regulated can really like go into i guess are I you guess. seeing any <laughs> sort of trends in your work so far like um what are your findings at this point uh so so sequencing is kind of expensive <laughs> but okay. um, we did do a bit of a practice kind of sequencing round um and we did it with two species of copepods mm -hmm. and uh and with different treatments of how they were fixed and stored uh before we did all of our analysis um and we did see a big difference between the this one species that was a lot much like much much smaller around two millimeters and then another species um but the primers that I was using or how I was amplifying the DNA, they were uh, very general. So um, I found that it was overrun by a lot of one species of a symbiont in one uh, host. So I'm hoping that when I have this new method that we're kind of working on right now, uh, that I'll be able to kind of resolve a higher diversity so that I can get a more accurate comparison between the two. So I did see a difference between these two. Um, but it wasn't necessarily to the depth of uh, interest or there wasn't enough there, okay. <laughs> which I know there's more. So. Well, we wish you all the best of luck in finding more and <laughs> uh, more samples, more copepods, more zooplankton. So Rosie, thank you very much for coming on to GradCast tonight. Thank you. So we have been in conversation with Rosie Savage who is working on her Master's of Science in Biology. I am Yimin Chen. I've been your host tonight and joined with... Ariel Frame. And this has been GradCast, a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. We come at you on the radio every Tuesday at 6 p.m. at Radio Western CHRW 94.9. You can also subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts online. If you'd like to get in contact with us, our email is gradcastradio at gmail.com, and you can find all of our shows and archives at gradcast.ca. And until next time, if nautical nonsense is what something you wish, tune into GradCast. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker. <laughs>